Welcome to Crush and Disappointment. In this episode, I'm chatting to sex blogger, author, and audio porn creator Go on the Net about her crush on Rick Mail. So, quick introduction to Rick Mail. He was a comedian, probably most known for his work with his comedy partner Aid Edmondson. And that's the stuff that we discuss here. So that's The Young Ones from 1982 to 1984, which was a sitcom about the lives of four undergraduate students, all of whom share a house in squalid condition while attending studies at the fictional scumbag college. In that, Mail played a conceited wannabe anarchist and sociology student Rick, and The Young Ones helped bring alternative comedy to British television in the 1980s. I've put all this together from Wikipedia. The programme that we discussed the most, though, is Bottom, which was from 1991 to 1995, in which Eddie, played by Ed Edmondson, and Richie, played by Rick Mayle, are two pathetic, misogynistic, slobby flatmates living in a filthy, damp flat in Hammersmith. They spend their time concocting desperate schemes to convince women to have sex with them, including buying sex spray, forging money, and pretending to be aristocrats. Their plans are never successful, however, and the stress of their miserable lives can cause them to become irritable with each other. And they tend to beat each other up. So, um, my introduction to... Rick Mail was when, well, it was from Blackadder, and my memory is taking my copies of Blackadder to school to show them off on a end-of-year uh, DOS lesson, and we, I decided to play the first episode of season one to the whole class, and it went down like a bag of sick, and no one laughed, and it was incredibly, incredibly awkward, until a friend suggested that I put on an episode from Blackadder 2, and that ends with a scene in, with Rick Mail. And basically it slayed the whole class and I was able to regain some dignity. So thank you to Rick Mel for that. In this episode, we talk about comedy more generally as well. So I'll add links to Go On The Net's recommendations. And in the description, you can also find links to her work and uh, my stuff as well. So here's the crush. When did you first see Rick Mail? So, um, young ones slash bottom, I think when I was young, um, my stepdad was very into like, uh, bottom particularly. And I think I probably watched it when I was far too young to actually, for it to actually be suitable. Um, but my brother and sister and I were obsessed with it. Um, yeah. And we used to repeat a lot of the scripts and yeah, learn all of the little bits. So more, it was a bottom more specifically at the beginning. Yeah, I think it was. It would probably have been around the time when bottom was actually on the TV. Um, so we'd have. I mean, we recorded it off the telly and had VCRs that we played to death, um, which I think my mum was not very happy about us just repeatedly watching it. But once we'd seen a couple of episodes, it was really hard for her to turn around and go, "Oh shit, this is not suitable for you." <laughs> <laughs> so what was so good about Rick Mail, like how did he have an appeal that Adrian Edmondson didn't have in that? Oh no, I feel really bad for Age if I put it like that. <laughs> um, th- there is something about Rick. I mean, don't get me wrong. I definitely would with Aid, uh, who is also brilliant. There's something about Rick, like some people have a twinkle in their eye and I feel like Rick just twinkled everywhere. Like everything he did had this undercurrent of filth and this sort of <laughs> slightly like sideways smile one raised eyebrow like there's there was definitely something about him where you just sort of felt like he had filth running through his veins (laughs) um he also there's something about the ego as well like particularly sort of looking back at interviews like watching interviews with him that he did Mm -hmm. he had an ego that just transcended it wasn't like just confident it moved him more towards godlike 
<laughs> and you know he's sort of I'm, I'm sure today he'd get a lot of hate on Twitter and be kind of a Marmite type of guy but it was at the time I felt it was genuinely magical to see someone who had that level of self-love and wore it so well that it only made you love him more because yeah, I think in his autobiography, I think the picture of him, he sort of put himself in like a messianic sort of picture and he sort of in the introduction described himself as a godlike figure. Yeah. So he's very much uh, played into that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the embracing of that, I think, was part of what made him really fun. That sort of, it was kind of slightly knowing and yeah, ridiculously hot. But I guess is Richie hot, I guess, because he could be quite a creepy character. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's re- I think it's quite hard to uh, work out where my love of Rick and my love of Richie sort of combine. There's definitely something about watching particularly the live shows. The, the best bits of the live shows are when he forgets his lines and the Richie mask slips and Rick kind of shines <laughs> through from it. But I think there's there is also something about um the Richie and Eddie like pervy like desperate men. Um there's something about that that is quite hot, I think. <laughs> but I was <laughs> I guess I was coming from an angle of aren't they the kind of guys who are I guess when you were starting up your blog, you were talking about this idea of women not wanting sex. Are they not sort of the guys who would be perpetuating that opinion if they were real people? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't... Um, you, If Richie and Eddie were like real life people, then they would be appalling. Um, <laughs> but I think one of the reasons why they are fun and funny is because they are taking the piss out of themselves. And it is that, like, it's that kind of hyper real piss taking kind of thing. Um, I think there's also uh, men as a general rule don't often get presented as like super sexual figures and when we do see male sexuality on tv often it is um sexual images of men that are created by straight men who don't always understand exactly what women like and i've had lots of i say women not all women some women obviously we all have different tastes but one of the things that i think particularly is true of bottom is the kind of I found it really hot to see men talking about wanking, uh, doing the fake wanking gestures, um, like being really kind of obvious and open about the frequency of how much they wanked. Because that's not something that generally, particularly when I was younger, like it's not something that I could really revel in and enjoy. And since as I've got older and I've started sleeping with men and, you know, trying to persuade men that I'm with that they really want to let me watch them have a wank. It's something that I know quite a few other women are like, God, yeah, there's something about watching men wank that's really hot and I would like to see more of it. And so I think having a lot of that in bottom, yeah, it's from two really like grotesque characters, (laughs) but also it's still hot. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just throwing me. I really did see bottom as being a hot uh, experience. <laughs> well, okay, so it, it's. I think it's important. It's there are two things. There are kind of two threads here, right? So one is the thread of Rick was fucking sexy, like he was just an incredibly sexy, godlike man. And then there's the other thread of like this may well be quite specific to pervy old me, but the um, there's I I like the idea of uh, grubby men who are desperate for sex. Like <laughs> yes, like give me all of the drooling, sweaty, desperate men who want to 
look at pictures of Sue Carpenter sellotape to the bottom of the fridge. Like the um, intensity of that need and the um, urgency of that desire and that desperation is intensely hot to me. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying this is hot to everybody, but yeah, like, okay, Richie and Eddie, you wouldn't necessarily want to reply to them if they contacted you on an online dating site, not least because probably their first message would be show us your tits. But like, there is definitely a kernel of hotness there in the, the focus and desperation for sex apart from anything else because you fucking know that if you took eventually took Richie's virginity which he's been so desperately trying to get rid of you would experience a jizz volcano the likes of which you've (laughs) never seen before in your life and um, that in and of itself is incredibly hot to me so on that basis would uh Rick Mail in so the sexy Rick Mail that I had in my head was him in Blackadder where he just storms through the room and sort of is uh, has more charisma than anyone. It does, would that fit more into your idea of like uh, a man's version of a sexy man, and so it wouldn't have the same appeal as him in Bottom? Ah, uh, do you know? I wouldn't necessarily say a man's version because I think it's whichever the the Rick that you fancy the most will always depend on you know individual personal tastes, no matter what your gender. Mm-hmm. But I would say that people who fancy Rick mostly or only as Lord Flashheart, they're amateur Rick lovers, in my my opinion. Like, everybody fucking loves Lord Flashheart. He's hot, he's filthy, he's got that, like, godlike confidence and arrogance. It's kind of standard. I feel like if somebody can look at Lord Flashheart and not fancy him even a little bit, Mm -hmm. then, you know, probably we're not going to have a huge amount in common. But the real core of Rick love is, you know, yeah... Bottom, maybe Rick. Rick in the Young Ones is is an even harder one to fancy, I think, mm. because he's got so much pathos about him and so much like eagerness to please and whininess. Like it's it's he's a harder one to fancy. Drop Dead Fred is quite an easy one to fancy, I think. There's that sort of playful escapist Rick that you get in Drop Dead Fred. Um, <laughs> Alan Bastard is a is a tough fancy, but you know, I definitely still would. Uh, so if we look at the young ones I, well, I've got a quote from Professor Nick Room from the tribute so, so he made a tribute to uh, Rick Mail when he died and he said that Rick and the young ones who reckons he's a right on anarchist and the people's poet as opposed to a sanctimonious and self-centred little prig with the emotional maturity of a sniggering 13 year old <laughs> so which of those versions of Rick did you see when you first watched the show? <sighs> God, you know, I mean, when I first watched it, I will have been a sanctimonious little prick myself. (laughs) I probably still am a sanctimonious little prick. Um, I guess both. I think, I think one of the things, one of the things I like about Rick in the Young Ones is that he's sort of, you can see that he's, he's trying and you've got to fucking love him for that trying. Like, I think one of the reasons the Young Ones is appealing is that the characters aren't just like disgusting and creepy and weird um they are also like there is there is heroism in like the minor challenges that they face and they are trying so hard like I did when I was a student and like most of us would have done when we were young and full of optimism um and so I think I think yeah there's probably a bit of both and I think like the hot the hotness of Rick it's really hard because he plays such deliberately not hot characters. 
And Rick and the Young Ones is is definitely one of those. But there's something about Rick Mayle as a person where like the physicality of him still shines through, like the way he carries and holds himself and grins and raises eyebrows. And yeah, it's I think it's hard for him to play anyone and not be at least a little bit sexy. Because <laughs> uh, what's the scene in Man Down where he was... Um... Uh, playing uh, what's that game where it's on a pole and it's got the tennis ball and he's playing it with his son played by greg davis and i thought the scene didn't really work for me but there's close-ups of his face and the way he's able to move his eyebrows it's like he's so enticing to look at yes yeah he's kind he is he's, he's kind of mesmerizing you cannot help but look at him I, I was so glad that he got cast as greg davies dad in that because obviously the comparison is impossible to miss um <laughs> but yeah there's i it sort of makes you feel sorry for, well, I mean, Aid, like I love Aid. Aid is brilliant. Aid is also very sexy. But Aid and literally anybody else who used to hang out with Rick a lot because you just think he must have shone so brightly that it mm. was quite, you know, it must be hard to get attention if you're sort of in his orbit. But at the same mm. time, the joy of being in his orbit, I assume, was totally worth it. So well, we sort of covered his a vast amount of his career in quite a short space of time. So has your uh, opinion of Rick Mayle sort of changed over the time that you've been aware of him? Did it start off in a certain way and transform? Or is is the things that have been key about him being consistent? Um, I think, I mean, there's there was obviously a change, like, ah. So there, there are certain, like, Rick periods which I enjoy the most. I think he was at his like oh I was probably at my like peak love for him around about the second live show um and uh, the thing about Rick that you have to understand is that a lot of the stuff that happened later in his career is a little bit like the second two Matrix movies or the fourth Indiana Jones film in that it didn't happen and we just don't talk about it (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah, I mean there was yeah. So the the way I feel about him kind of changed has changed a little bit, but it's less that I've sort of taken that on board and more just I don't look at the bits that I don't like so much. So did you manage to go to the live shows? I so guttingly, I was too young for like the first two. I went to three and I went to four. And obviously that's a bit of a shame because they were slightly less incredible than the first two. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean they weren't brilliant. Like there was something really magical about sitting in the audience and being like, holy fuck, that's Rick Mayo, like literally right there <laughs> on stage. I'm not normally like that because most of my celebrity crushes or like people who I think, oh, they're super hot would be stand-up comics. And so I can go and see stand-up comics live whenever I want to. So there isn't that sort of rock star or about it mm-hmm. whereas with Rick like there absolutely was that rock star or and that sort of thrill of um you know if he fucked up his lines or did a little ad lib or something that made that show completely unique to the audience who were there on that night like that is a proper thrill that is really exciting so what's the uh, i think in quite a bit of your writing you mentioned like having crushes on comedians like what is the appeal of comedians oh god what isn't the Camilla the appeal of comedians <laughs> so um ah uh, so basically a comedy in and of itself is intensely sexy someone who makes me laugh is the sexiest fucking person in the world somebody who 
laughs at my jokes is intensely sexy. I just basically, I think there's there's I think there are a lot of similarities between um, comedy and sex. Like you are essentially making yourself incredibly vulnerable in front of someone else. Like telling them a joke is like tearing off your clothes in front of them. Except obviously in one case you want them to laugh. In the other case, ideally you don't. (laughs) But you're exposing all the intimate parts of your brain. And, you know, here are the things that I think and the things that I find funny about them. And in the moment when you tell a joke, you are laying yourself open to complete devastation if they meet it with you know silence or disgust or any of that kind of stuff so when they respond it's even more of a thrill to be like holy shit i made this person laugh Mm -hmm. and laughter like genuine sexual pleasure is something that you can't force like you can't make someone laugh against their will like it's an uncontrollable thing and so what you have done is you have done something to someone that is so pleasurable they cannot help but have a a physical reaction to it like an explosive physical reaction to it and you're like shit I fucking did that to you that's cool (laughs) and so like vice versa when somebody does that to you and has you you know I've seen some stand-ups who've just had me like in absolute fits like stomach hurts I'm crying with laughter and that like just responding to someone's work in that extreme physical way I think is incredibly hot like it's it's such a yeah it's such a visceral physical thing and are you well how difficult is it to combine humor with sex writing is that something that the two go well together or is there a push-pull sort of relationship oh do you know I, I really, what I would like to be able to say to this question is, yes, it's abs- I'm great at it and I can flip from <laughs> porn to comedy in no time at all. I think actually the truth of it is I would desperately, desperately love to be able to be funny. Like if, when I die, I would like for someone to write on my gravestone, here lies gotten, she made me laugh. Like <laughs> over and above the porn, like... I would rather make someone laugh than give them an erection. And I fucking love giving them an erection. <laughs> um, it, it is something that is that I aspire to and that I would love to be able to do. However, I don't. I just don't think I'm that good at it. Like, I am much better at giving people erections than I am at making them laugh. So I will occasionally write posts where I'll like, the point of the post is to be funny and to make people laugh about you know, something ridiculous or silly that I've done in bed or some kind of ludicrous sex-related product that people are trying to flog you for ridiculous amounts of money. Um, So I will sometimes try and do comedy, but it's really, really hard. Like, I I think sex is an absolute walk in the park compared to comedy, for sure. (laughs) Um, Okay, then then this, but I found uh, an interview with GQ from 1993 and they argue what well, they said that Rick Mail's characters come from the inside they are exorcisms of part of his personality that he dislikes or feels insecure about yeah and I think this might be a question that you've been asked millions of times before but is it something where having a persona in your writing you feel that you're equally able to excise parts of your personality do you know I think for me it's actually kind of the opposite like the, the parts of my personality that I could really do with exercising and the parts that I hate the most are the parts I'm desperate to hide from an online audience <laughs> and I don't really want them to see. Mm-hmm. So the kind of meaner bits or the, um, yeah, like 
flashes of cruelty or scorn, all that kind of stuff. Like, I will absolutely hide the shit out of those things. I'm not brave enough to do that sort of, you know, here I am doing that as a, as a parody and then I can kind of exercise the parts that I hate. So I will instead play up the bits that I think are good and drastically play down all the bad things. So Girl on the Net is much kinder than I am. She's hotter than me and cooler than me and better in bed than me. She's funnier than me because she's able to take time and edit stuff. Like, let, let's let face it, she is an absolute bitch and I hate her. <laughs> and she's she is better than real life me in so many ways. And it's like... I mean, I obviously I don't mind that. She also pays my bills and that's great of her. Um, but it is and it is really interesting to be confronted with that. Um, like I, I will sometimes go and do interviews or, you know, go and record stuff with people or, you know, occasionally, although I'm an anonymous blogger, I do get out of the house occasionally. Um, and I once met a journalist who is a nice bloke and has since become a, a friend of mine. But he said, we were doing we were doing this radio thing. And he said, oh, yeah, the weird thing about you is like, I've read all loads of stuff about you online. And then when I meet you in real life, you're just a person, aren't you? <laughs> I was like, yeah, just a person. And that's so boring. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's nice to be able to have that personality. But I think that online personality is definitely, I mean, better than me in every single way. <laughs> Are you able to just uh, like turn it on? I guess so you're in the supermarket and you're sort of being yourself and then suddenly, I don't know, it would maybe give you more confidence to feel like you could put on the persona. Is it something that you were able to just do like that? Um, I don't think it's necessarily a persona in that sense uh-huh. because it's mostly comes through writing. It's less about a way that I act. So like the way that I would like act and speak on a podcast is just that is just normal me. Mm-hmm. The only difference is that if we were doing this interview via email, I would spend a lot more time editing my answers and making sure I threw in some hilarious little bon mots every <laughs> now and again. Um, or some like words of wisdom a la the end of Scrubs where they do the sort of nice cheesy wrap up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's less about that. Although like there is definitely a there's definitely a confidence in knowing that this is a thing I do quite well. Like, I'm not just a sex blogger. Like, I'm a sex blogger who's made it my career and makes a living out of it. And that... So, like, for instance, I go to Eroticon, which is a fantastic conference held once a year for sex writers and bloggers and other erotically creative types. Um, And when I go along to that, the first, like, couple of hours is always a bit of a sort of nervous panic where I'm like oh fuck there's loads of people here and they all know who I am and ah and then after that I sort of lean into it and I'm like fuck actually like a lot of these people respect my work and know my work and being able to put on that mantle and go yeah I actually am quite good at this Mm -hmm. is a real yeah it's a real confidence boost Mm -hmm. that I don't tend to have in real life because in real life I can't tell anyone about my job. So mm-hmm. I just pretend to be a boring copywriter. I'm like, oh no, my job's very boring. You wouldn't want to ask me any questions about it at all, please. <laughs> <laughs> and then I've got another poorly worded tangent where I saw Rick Mail did quite a lot of audio and he um, narrated some video games, so Hogs of War. And so I was going to jump off that and ask you about your experience in working in audio and what are the, what's the appeal in working with audio over the written word and vice versa? Oh, okay. So, um, 
Firstly, I think one of the greatest audio things Rick Mail's ever done is he read some Dr. Zeus. Okay. My sister found me a CD of it in a charity shop a few years ago. It's genuinely one of the best presents I've ever received. It's beautiful. Um, so audio. The in- so I sort of accidentally fell into doing audio because um, a couple of site users who use screen readers and they have uh, vis- because they have visual impairments basically said, look, have you ever considered recording your work? Because it's not very sexy to hear it read aloud by the robot voice that reads it if you're using a screen reader. So I was like, oh, okay, that, you know, that sounds like a good thing to do. And I would, you know, I would like my site to be accessible to blind people. Mm -hmm. So I started recording it and then it just pretty quickly became one of the most popular sections of my site. So I was like, fuck, I better do more. And so initially it was kind of accidental and I was a little bit nervous about doing it but just because I have always been an anonymous blogger I don't put photos of my face up I don't have my name up anywhere because men on the internet can be quite scary and so doing audio felt suddenly like I was exposing something a lot more personal and private about myself I think as I've done more of it that's actually something I've started to really embrace and enjoy because audio is very intimate and immediate and people will be listening to it you know usually on headphones because what I make is audio porn um so they're unlikely to be like blasting it out of a stereo (laughs) but it's that kind of I now I can I as I'm reading stuff and recording stuff for audio I'm very aware that I'm not just sort of performing to a stay you know sit standing on a stage and performing I am sitting on your shoulder and whispering sexy words in your ear and I quite like that it feels quite vulnerable and it makes me like I consider it more in my writing now I will sometimes write a piece specifically thinking this is going to make for great audio mm-hmm. um so yeah I, I don't think it's an accident that since I've started doing audio I've also started writing more fiction like before the audio most of my stories were real life sex stories mm-hmm. whereas now it's probably about two thirds real life one third fiction and the fiction gives me a bit of distance and it also allows me to explore those kind of like fun scenarios where instead of writing you know me and my partner did this and he bent me over the sofa and fucked me in the ass obviously I'd say it sexier than that (laughs) when I'm writing the post um but I can also write the stories where it's like and you are doing this and your dick is this hard and you are you know whatever mm-hmm. um so yeah it's kind of it's a really nice it's like a nice extra tool to have in the toolbox i think i mean with the fictional stuff is there are you incorporating characters who have uh similar sort of qualities as uh rick mail <laughs> oh um do you know that is an interesting question uh <laughs> no off the top of my head no absolutely not however i should totally do that um <laughs> I think, as a general rule, my characters tend to be quite, uh, not silent, because they do do a lot of dirty talk, but someone, I sort of imagine that in like a sex scenario, Rick would like fucking burst in and be like, right, I'm here, what are we doing? Now let's do this, now let's do this. And there'd be a lot of like chat and um, uh, lots of switching of positions and activities and kind of this like excitement and greediness for everything that sex and life has to offer. And I don't think I've ever written a character like that. I might I might have to add that to my to-do list. <laughs> um, and then I guess what you're saying earlier about wanting to 
wishing that you were able to be a comedian do you find that um i guess with comedy people say how it's all about timing is that an edit added element to working in audio where timing is important in the same way that you're trying to make someone laugh or make someone aroused? Yeah, timing is definitely a big one. Um, I think it's one of the difficult things about porn is that, so with comedy, it's effective. I mean, I'm simplifying massively, but you know, you have setup, punchline, and you know pretty much when people are going to laugh, they're going to laugh on the punchline. Otherwise you haven't told a particularly good joke. Whereas with porn, Everybody takes different lengths of time to get aroused, to get into characters, and then to come. I think one of the flaws in my work is that I tend to wank very quickly. I will tend to come within a couple of minutes if I'm having a wank. And so when I write, I uh, I will do like build up and tone setting and atmosphere because I think that's really important. And then when it gets to the fucking, it's quite quick and aggressive and uh, immediate. Whereas I know other audio porn um, producers who will try and make their stories like 30 minutes long to give people time to really sort of relax into it and enjoy it and stuff. Um, So timing is important. And I also think with porn, it's not something you can necessarily control because there'll be so many different people listening to it and accessing it that you you just can't you just can't guarantee that a particular piece is going to do it for everybody mm. um so for me like i i aim to have quite a variety of stuff in terms of like like on my site girlonthenet.com slash audio porn i always forget to do that <laughs> um, on my site you'll have you know some pieces will be like three minutes long other pieces will be like 12 15 minutes long and i've recently started getting guest uh, readers and writers so other writers to come read their work to record to put on my site as well and a lot of those are much longer pieces as well just so that there's that variety that you know people who can't get off to the shorter stuff and want something a bit longer and vice versa and are you experimenting with how you use your voice do you find that different intonations work more than others or um so This is kind of a weird one. I have tried to do... So the start of December, I booked a studio and brought in a bunch of other writers to read their work. And I read a bunch of work from this other writer as well who wasn't able to come to the studio. And because a lot of her stories are really, really character focused, I was kind of playing around with like acting the story rather than just reading it and kind of inhabiting the character. Those have not gone live yet. And so I don't know how well they will go down. But what I do know is that of the stories that I publish, by far the most popular ones are ones where I'm doing this kind of directly speaking to someone, intimate, slow, soft, kind of gentle, uh, like a basically not, not super direct and not super kind of staccato and loud. Um, I also, weirdly, someone on Twitter the other day retweeted one of the stories that I have up on my site and described it as, I can't remember, something like, this is a super hot story read by a naughty little posh girl. And I was like, fucking hell, someone thinks I'm posh. (laughs) (laughs) I'm putting on my posh voice for this interview, but generally I'm a little (laughs) bit less posh than this. (laughs) Uh, So how do you find Rick Mail's voice? Ah, just everything about him is brilliant. It, it, what I, one of the things I like is that 
like he can he can switch really quickly between like sort of um even when he's doing when he's doing interviews he does this beautifully where he'll just be sort of answering something very seriously and then he'll turn to the audience or turn to camera and throw in that sort of like really dirty rick voice <laughs> and you feel like that like the the dirty rick voice is never really that far from the surface that sort of like oh have a wank oh i've done it twice like that kind of just a bit like guttural and filthy mm-hmm. so yeah i like that a lot and how often do you go back to his work ah uh, do you know it depends i think i go through phases when i will do it more um so i did i rewatched the whole of bottom last year because i was making a yurt don't ever make a yurt it takes fucking ages um <laughs> but i was just like sat at the sewing machine for ages and i was like okay i'm gonna rewatch all the bottom um so occasionally I will do that and I'll dip back into it. Usually when I'm re-watching stuff, the things that I seek out more often are like the blooper reels and the outtakes. Mm. So like the bottom fluff videos that I used to play constantly when I was younger and wear out the tapes because there's something about that, you know, when he breaks the fourth wall and, you know, shouts at the audience in the live shows, fuck off you bastards. <laughs> um, but it's it's really interesting to rewatch it because... I, before, before a rewatch, you always think, well, fucking hell, this was bottom. It was the nineties. It's Rick and Aid. It's going to be really offensive. It's going to be incredibly problematic. One of the reasons I don't often enjoy rewatching stuff that I liked from back in those days is because I'm like, fuck, nowadays I'm more aware of like, oh, fuck, there's a transphobic joke. And so I'm not Mm. really enjoying this episode anymore. Or like, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that it's not like, I want to cancel it. It's just like, I struggle to enjoy it because now I know what I know. Mm -hmm. But with, with bottom, I genuinely, it isn't, I don't think it's as problematic as I would, like I would think before a rewatch. And I think that's partly because the jokes are mostly at the expense of Richie and Eddie. So there's less, I think there's less kind of punch down cruelty in bottom humor than there is in like, a Ricky Gervais set, for instance, mm-hmm. like they're they're not sort of punching up or down; they're just punching themselves in the <laughs> face and then twatting themselves with a frying pan in the face. So it it's not. It, it, I think I think it's worth a rewatch. Like it's obviously it is still problematic because it's from the nineties and yeah, but I think it's still great. And is it has the experience of watching it changed? Has it become um, nostalgic? Is it kind of to take you back to the first time that you watched it? Ah, uh, it's. Uh, it is it's quite it is quite nostalgic. It, it it I still enjoy it for what it is, and I still enjoy Rick for how devastatingly sexy he is. Although there is obviously that undertone of like you know the sexiness is marred now by sadness because the selfish bastard went and died, and <laughs> um, so there is kind of that still hanging around there. But um, but yeah, I think it's one of those things like it has been imprinted on my brain through so many teenage watches and rewatches and rewatches that it will just always fire those same synapses in my brain which are kind of you know jokes and comfort and horn and happiness regardless of whether it actually stands the test of time or whether kids these days would watch it and be like what the fuck is this this is shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and i guess jumping off that into like a more serious tone like do you with celebrity deaths, did you find Rick Mail's death, uh, did that have an impact? 
Oh God, yeah, it really did. I, I'm not normally one to cry over celebrities because you sort of think, well, uh, you know, they they weren't my friends. Like I can be sad that, you know, we've we've lost this brilliant person. Um, and I was really, I remember like there, there were a few key celebrity deaths where I was like, I don't get it. Why is everyone sad? Like why are my friends genuinely weeping over this celebrity? And then Rick Mayo died and I was a fucking mess. Like it's just... Yeah, I, I, that whole day when I found out, so I found out on Twitter that he died and I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and I spent that day like messaging back and forward with my brother and my sister and my family because they all loved like Rick and Aid and that comedy as well. And yeah, it was a genuine period of mourning, like proper grief about it. Yeah, gutted. And I've read some stuff that was talking about how uh, Rick Mail's generation of comedians sort of pushed comedy forward in the UK. And perhaps there was um, overall, if they sort of um, comedy went back to being the sort of punch down stuff. And so are there people who are working now who you feel like are continuing that tradition, who are doing similar sort of things to Rick Mail? Do you know, I think in terms of, I don't know, in terms of like pushing boundaries and pushing stuff forward, I think there are so many comedians who are doing that. And that I wouldn't want to just like name a couple but in terms of things that are a bit Rick I am a big fan of Helen Bauer who is a stand-up um she's actually got a show I think I think it's the start of February at the Soho Theatre she's incredible and she does that brilliant like hyper ridiculous hyper narcissistic ego type character that is just done so beautifully that you cannot help but love her. And I think there's something about, like, I wouldn't say she's incredibly Rick Mail-esque, but I think something about the way she does that is is really Rick and it's brilliant. Um, I think there's also, in terms of like, when Rick and Aid first started out and they did Dangerous Brothers at the Comedy Store, that in and of itself was so weird and like nothing anyone had ever seen before that I also want to mention Dark Room by a guy called John Robertson um it's basically it's basically a comedy show where he's written this video game you awake to find yourself in a dark room and then you the audience he picks different people out of the audience and they play the video game and it's completely insane it's doesn't make any sense. He gets very angry with the audience. There's a lot of like audience interaction and that feels a bit dangerous brothers just in the kind of, it's doing something very, very new and it's sort of bringing the audience in to this completely batshit world where, you know, anything could happen. So those are my two, two key recommendations. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm jumping all over the place now, but if we take it back to uh, the young ones, that had a kind of um, anti-establishment uh, feel to it. But if you're watching it with your family, does that sort of, did you feel like you were being a rebel or did it feel like it was a part of the sort of the family establishment, I guess? <laughs> well, so the difficulty is, because because of my age, by the time I watched The Young Ones, um, it had already, its time had already passed. So I was watching it when I was about like 12, 13. So about the time that Bottom was out. So... Yeah, it it definitely wasn't anti-establishment. And the reason I was watching it is because my stepdad fucking loved it and my stepdad loved Rick and Aid. So yeah, I don't, for me, it was very much not an anti-establishment thing. I'm trying to think what might be an anti-establishment thing. 
I again, this is probably around a similar time. Ben Elton did a stand-up show. I mean, Ben Elton at that time had long since stopped being anti-establishment. <laughs> but he did a series of stand-up shows on the BBC. And I used to record them because I loved comedy and yay, Ben Elton. Um, and one of the episodes, I was watching it in the living room after I'd come back from school. My mum popped in and he was talking about sex toys. And she's looked at the telly and she looked at me. And you could see this little calculation in her brain. She was like, nah, this is a bit much. This is a bit much. Like she was already annoyed that she hadn't curtailed the bottom watching. So she was like, no, no, you can't watch this. You're not allowed to watch this. It's a bit, it's a bit too old for you. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, fine, I won't. Obviously, a couple of days later when my mum was out, I went and found the video, put it back in and tried to watch it. And she taped over the fucking thing with Blue Peter. <laughs> what a bitch. <laughs> So I missed Ben Elton's bit on sex toys. Um, oh, actually, if you, um, I was thinking how with crushes, when you like the, the stereotypical teenage crush of having the, the pop star and the posters on the wall. I guess with Rick Mail, there wasn't Rick Mail merch. Like, how <laughs> would you like signify your status as a Rick Mail fan to the world? Oh God! Well, at the, at the age when I liked him. And how old he was, I probably would not have been signifying my status as a Rick Mail lover. I will have, I mean, I will absolutely have like cut interviews out of magazines and like saved, you know, saved press clippings and stuff. But for me, it wouldn't ever have, well, I probably, I would have included the pictures, but what would have been sexy for me wouldn't be the pictures, it would be the words. Like, I've always been a words person. And so, I remember saving interviews of Rick Mail or like my mum and family knew that I liked him. So they'd like save me, you know, if he did an interview in a magazine or something. And the things that I would obsess over would be the answers he'd given to the questions and how funny he was and how like, yeah, how narcissistic he was. And um, yeah, so I would have collected all that stuff. I also, I don't want to go into too much detail on this because I feel like it would make me incredibly identifiable to certain people. But basically, I at one point, I did write uh, an episode of The Young Ones, basically, as like a fanfic type <laughs> thing. And I'm not going to tell you what I did with it because it's too identifiable. Okay. But basically, yeah, a massive, massive nerd. <laughs> I wanted to fuck him and I wanted to be him. <laughs> um, I think that might be the note that we end on. <laughs> um, I think that's all my questions. Um, do you want to plug anything? Um, I always want to plug my site, girlonthenet.com. It is very not safe for work, so don't click on it at work or if you're in front of anyone under the age of 18. Um, so yeah, come read my blog, listen to my audio porn, girlonthenet.com slash audio porn. Follow me on Twitter at girlonthenet. And if you would like to give me some money, I am also on Patreon too. And I'm always short of cider and black ankle boots. So I very much appreciate any money. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for doing this. No problem. It's been fun. Thank you for letting me bang on about Rick for ages.